0: Welcome to List of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D., and today I'll be covering the case of Anthony Mitchell in the Walker County Jail in Jasper, Alabama. Let's get right to it. Anthony Don Mitchell, known to his family and friends as Tony, was 33 years old. He lived at a house on Lost Creek Road in Carbon Hill in Walker County, Alabama. By all accounts, Tony had many friends, most of them he had known all the way back to his high school days. A few of them spoke to CBS 42 and remembered Tony as a good person. One friend, Anitra Pearson, recalled one of her best memories with Tony when he was in her wedding. She stated to the outlet, When we got married, Tony actually walked our dog down the aisle. So I always think about that. He loved our little piglet so much. Tony was funny, larger than life, and at one time, Tony Mitchell was one of the best car salesmen in Walker County, with a career and a bright future ahead of him. But life has a way of knocking people down sometimes, and Tony began to struggle especially in late 2022 when his father passed away. You see, Tony had many friends, but his dad was his very best friend. According to court documents, Tony had been sharing that home on Lost Creek Road with his dad, but after his passing, he was living there alone and struggling to cope with such an enormous loss. His mom tried to help, paying his electric, routinely bringing him food, and stopping by to check in on him. But Tony, who had struggled with mental health issues and substance abuse in the past, was spiraling further into addiction and both his physical and mental health deteriorated. According to the lawsuit filed by Tony's family, on January 12, 2023, Tony showed up to his cousin Steve's house. But Tony didn't look like Tony. He had just seen him three months before at services for Tony's father but the man standing before him didn't even physically look like the Tony he knew and loved. In fact, at first, he didn't even recognize him. Tony was a big guy, standing over six foot tall and weighing over 200 pounds. But the man standing before him was thin, frail, disheveled, and looked far beyond the age of 33. It was clear from his appearance alone that something was very wrong. Tony told his cousin that he wanted to tell him a secret that no one else knew. He proceeded to tell him that he had a brother who had been stillborn, and that part was true, but he went on to say that his parents had hidden his baby brother's body in a box and placed the box inside the attic of his house. He continued, stating that there were two portals in the house, one to heaven and one to hell and he needed to tear out one of the attic walls to find the baby's body so he could put him in the portal to heaven. Steve, of course, immediately realized that Tony was suffering from delusions, so he agreed to go to the house with him to help him find the box. He took his adult son along to help with Tony, hoping to calm him down and get him some help. But when they got back to Tony's, the delusions continued, Even after Steve's adult son climbed into the attic to show him that there was no box and no baby, Tony kept insisting that he needed to tear that wall out. They knew they needed to get him help, so Steve and his son told Tony they'd be back to help him find the portal and they left to go call for help. Steve wasn't sure of exactly what to do, so he placed a call to the Walker County Sheriff's Office looking for guidance, but no one picked up. He couldn't leave Tony alone for long, so he decided he'd just have to call 911. So he did. Steve told the dispatcher that Tony was having a mental breakdown and that his physical condition had deteriorated so much that it would be a good idea to have an ambulance respond to the scene. When Walker County Sheriff's deputies arrived, according to a Facebook post reading in part, quote, they observed Tony Mitchell in the front yard of the residence. Mitchell immediately brandished a handgun and fired at least one shot at deputies before retreating into a wooded area behind his home. No deputies were harmed and SWAT was called in and eventually, Tony was arrested in the woods behind his house. When he was arrested, Tony had black spray paint all over his face, and he told deputies that he had spray painted his own face black because he was planning to enter a portal to hell located inside his house. It was clear to everyone that Tony Mitchell was suffering a mental health crisis. By this time, his mother and cousin Steve were both also on scene, along with the sheriff, Nick Smith, and his public information officer, TJ Armstrong. As Tony was arrested, according to the family's lawsuit, public information officer Armstrong took a photo of Tony, and within minutes, it was posted to the Walker County Sheriff's Department Facebook page. The end of the post read, This situation could have ended much differently if it weren't for the constant training of our department, incredible work by our dispatchers, assistance from other agencies, and the quick help of District Attorney Bill Adair's office. Thankfully, the day ended with everyone safe. Only everyone wouldn't be safe for long. Moments after Tony's arrest, Officer Armstrong spoke with Steve and told him that Tony was alive, although a little roughed up and he'd taken a shot at the officers, and they were planning to charge him. He went on to say that they were going to set Tony's bond high enough that he wouldn't be able to bond out. But this was a good thing, because Tony would receive a medical evaluation and treatment in jail. Armstrong told him, We're going to detox him, and then we'll see how much of his brain is left, or something to that effect. Tony Mitchell was eventually booked in the Walker County Jail on attempted murder charges. Hours after his arrest, the photo of Tony with his face painted black spread across social media like wildfire. The internet can be a shitty place. In the photo, again, it's very clear that Tony was suffering. But that didn't stop the memes and jokes, and the department had to know that was coming. But they posted that photo anyway. Would the sheriff's office post photos of a gruesome physical injury to announce an arrest? No. But a broken man who was likely at the lowest point in his life, suffering from an obvious mental health crisis like severe drug addiction, psychosis, and malnourishment? Yeah, run it. And it doesn't get any better from here. When Tony was booked into the Walker County Jail on January 12th, he was held in an isolation cell in the booking area. And it's called a cell, but it's really anything but. There's no toilet, only a drain in the floor that can be used as a toilet. No bed, there's nothing. Concrete walls and a concrete floor with a drain. That's it. It's meant as a very temporary holding place. At booking, Tony had his clothes taken away and was given no jail uniform. In fact, in video footage later released, which we'll get to how and why that happened, Tony appears completely nude in every clip except one. In one of these clips, according to the lawsuit on or around January 15th, so three days after his original arrest, video surveillance from inside the jail shows a naked Tony being dragged out of his holding cell and tased by detention deputy Braxton Key, as supervisor Captain Jotty Tidwell looks on. Now Tony had a full set of dentures, which of course he needed to eat and properly communicate. As he was being tased, his dentures fell out. They were recovered by deputies and placed in a property bag sealed and dated 11523. Tony's false teeth were never returned to him. For 10 days, this man was inside the Walker County Jail, unable to eat properly. And it didn't stop there. In other surveillance clips, deputies Braxton Key and Morgan Madison are seen dragging Tony from the shower back to a holding cell, again nude. He was left in that holding cell wet, naked, and clearly suffering. Not only from the mental health crisis officers responded to originally, but his treatment by deputies at the jail. At other points, Tony lies nude on the floor of that bare cell, and it is obvious from the video surveillance that Tony Mitchell is struggling. But apparently, it's not obvious to the deputies at the jail, or if it is, they sure didn't give two shits. At approximately 4 o'clock a.m. on January 26th, video surveillance captures Tony being returned to the isolation cell in the booking area. Return from where? Oh, believe me, we'll get there. The video goes on to show Deputy Braxton Key leading Alicia Heron, the jail's nurse practitioner, to the holding cell. Supervisor Denzel Mitchell is present and, well, supervising. Tony Mitchell is lying naked and motionless on the bare cell floor. All three employees at that jail are seen laughing and joking with the cell door open as Tony lies there seemingly in distress. Alicia Heron, the jail nurse practitioner, enters the cell and spends one to two minutes inside with Tony but appears to provide no medical treatment. This video ends with Tony lying naked among what appears to be piles of trash on the floor of the isolation cell raising his head looking out at the deputies standing around outside his cell as if he is attempting to plead for help. But he was ignored and Deputy Braxton Key turned out the light and closed the cell door, leaving Tony completely alone and now in the dark. The next video starts around 6 a.m., which is shift change at the jail. Deputy Shoemaker opened the door and looked inside Tony's cell and then the deputy walked away. A few moments later, Shoemaker and Deputy Morgan Madison appear again, entering the cell with a sleeping mat. According to the lawsuit, this was the first time it appears Tony was provided any kind of mat or padding to sleep on over the two weeks he was incarcerated. At some point between 6 and 7 a.m., nurse Brad Allred made his way down to Tony's cell. However, he just looked in at the door at Tony and did nothing. Tony is still lying there on the bare floor, motionless and in severe medical distress. So the nurse calls for emergency services, right? Negative, Ghost Rider. Instead, deputies decided it was time to do a little spring cleaning. Deputies Benjamin Shoemaker and Morgan Madison enter Tony's cell, sweep out the trash, and mop the floors around Tony's body as he lies on the ground. Tony is lying on the floor, likely dying, and these deputies are concerned with the cleaning and the mopping. A little later that morning, some other deputies stop by the cell to peer in at Tony, including Josh Jones and mother and daughter duo Captain Jotty and Haley Tidwell. At one point, Captain Tidwell actually goes inside the cell with Tony for several moments. Around 7.45 a.m., Morgan Madison is headed back inside the cell again. This time, carrying an orange jail uniform, he enters Tony's cell. Nurse Brad Allred nonchalantly rolls on by with the pill cart, and activities continue, business as usual. At 8.30 a.m., Deputy Shoemaker rolls a wheelchair into the cell. Shoemaker, with the help of another deputy, then brings Tony out of the cell in the wheelchair. And for the first time, Tony appears on camera, completely dressed. Shoemaker wheels him out of the cell, and Tony's body slides and falls out of the wheelchair. Deputies lift him back up and shackle his feet as Tony's body makes what is described in the lawsuit as slow, seemingly spasmodic movements. At this point, it appears Tony was going to be taken to get help. But he wasn't, because as a new female detainee was brought in the booking area deputies pick Tony back up and drag him back into the cell and close the door. The female detainee was processed and deputies Shoemaker, Wakefield, Forley, and Holzman are shown on camera standing around shooting the shit, talking about who knows what for quite some time. But eventually, they enter Tony's cell again and carry him out the door to the Sally Port to a waiting sheriff's department SUV. Tony appears unresponsive. His head dangles back as he is carried. His legs appear rigid in almost a 90-degree angle. His hands are no longer cuffed. His left arm is bent upwards towards his face, and his right is bent at the elbow and lying on his hip. The deputies place him on the ground outside the SUV, and his body remains in that position. Tony doesn't move. As has been the case throughout this entire ordeal, there was no rush to get Tony Mitchell to help. Eventually, he was placed in the back seat of the SUV and taken to Baptist Medical Center, which was roughly five minutes away. Just over five hours had passed since Tony first appeared on video, distressed, and lying naked in the cold concrete floor of his cell by the time he reached the hospital at 9.23 a.m., Upon arrival to the hospital, for the very first time, Tony was treated as a human in desperate need of medical care, and emergency resuscitation efforts began. For three and a half hours, doctors and medical professionals at Baptist Hospital fought like hell to save Tony. Dr. Timothy Jordan, the ER provider, made the following note that is contained in Tony's medical record and reads in part. I have limited information on this patient other than was provided by sheriff's deputies that accompanied the patient to the hospital. I was told by one of the deputies that the patient has been incarcerated since January 12th. I was also told by the deputies that the patient has not been eating or drinking for several days. He was brought to the emergency room by sheriff deputies in a car for evaluation. One of our nurses noted the sheriff's moving the patient out of the vehicle and putting him in a wheelchair, and he went outside and offered to move him to a stretcher. At that point, he was noted to have agonal respirations, breathing two to four times a minute. He was rushed into the ER and moved to our stretcher. He was unresponsive, apneic, and pulseless and cold to the touch. CPR was started and the handcuffs were removed. Another note in the file stated that during the attempted resuscitation, patient was unresponsive but occasionally made some agonal movements, including swallowing and minor movements of an arm or leg. This is while CPR with external compression devices in progress. Initial rectal temperature was 72 degrees Fahrenheit or 22 degrees centigrade. He appeared to have vomitus on his uniform. At some point, while the medical team at Baptist Hospital was fighting to save Tony, his cousin Steve received a call from communications officer T.J. Armstrong, who was there at the hospital with Tony. According to the lawsuit, he told Steve that for the last week and a half, quote, we've had a time with Tony. Going on to say that Tony had refused to eat, speak with jail personnel, and that he had allegedly refused to consent to a psychiatric evaluation. Remember, this man didn't have his false teeth, which would have made eating pretty damn difficult and also impeded his communication. Nonetheless, Officer Armstrong then described an incident when Tony had allegedly thrown feces at jail personnel and commented, and I quote, it was the worst case of addiction we've ever seen. He continued telling Steve that Tony's body temperature had started dropping that morning, And that he'd been taken to the hospital. Armstrong then broke the news that Tony wasn't gonna make it because when they had gotten to the hospital, the doctor had asked Tony to sit up, to which he complied, and then he had had a massive heart attack. He asked Steve to bring Tony's mother to the hospital, basically to say goodbye. Tony's mother did arrive at the hospital as the medical staff continued to try and save Tony, but it was too late. They fought for three and a half hours, but resuscitation efforts were stopped. Tony was pronounced deceased at 1.15 p.m. But Tony Mitchell didn't die from the worst case of addiction or a heart attack. According to the ER doctor who treated him, he died from hypothermia. Another note written by Dr. Jordan and placed in Tony's medical records reads, I am not sure what circumstances the patient was held in incarceration, but it is difficult to understand a rectal temperature of 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 22 degrees centigrade, while someone is incarcerated in jail. The cause of his hypothermia is not clear. It is possible he had an underlying medical condition resulting in hypothermia. I do not know if he could have been exposed to a cold environment. I do believe that hypothermia was the ultimate cause of death. How does one get hypothermia in the controlled climate of a jail? Well, the lawsuit alleges that Tony Mitchell was placed in a restraint chair in the jail's kitchen walk-in freezer, or similar frigid environment, and left there for hours the night before he died as some form of punishment for being difficult to handle at the jail or for firing that shot at officers when 911 was initially called. But of course, that's not the story told by the Walker County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff Nick Smith's mouthpiece, Deputy Armstrong, yeah, the same one who had been at the hospital with Tony and made that call to Steve, provided a statement to the media. CBS 42 published an article on January 30, 2023, which read, On Thursday, January 27th, an inmate in the Walker County Jail was provided a routine medical check by jail medical staff. Medical staff determined the inmate needed to be transported to the hospital for further evaluation. The inmate was alert and conscious when he left the facility and arrived at the hospital. Shortly after arrival at the hospital, the inmate suffered a medical emergency and became unresponsive. Life saving efforts were performed by hospital staff, and the inmate was ultimately revived. Unfortunately, a short time later, the inmate passed away. Of course, they never mentioned the cause of Tony's death. But out of that babbling line of bullshit, the keywords I want you to remember are alert and conscious. Because Tony Mitchell was neither of those things when he left the Walker County Jail. Not by a long shot. And the part about being revived? According to doctor's notes, that didn't happen either. From the notes Pupils were initially fixed and dilated, but became responsive after CPR was initiated. They're talking about the pupils becoming responsive, not Tony. The note continued. The patient remained in a systole, PEA, and occasionally VFib. No spontaneous pulse was ever palpated. Asystole means flatline or all electrical activity of the heart has ceased, otherwise known as clinical death. PEA stands for pulseless electrical activity, where there is no mechanical response to any electrical activity. No mechanical response equals no pulse. V fib is an uncontrolled twitching or quivering of the muscle fibers of the lower chambers of the heart that also will not produce a pulse. And as the note stated, there was no spontaneous pulse. Someone explained to me how and when he was revived, because that's not what the medical record shows. That statement failed to mention that it took five hours for Tony to be transported to the hospital. But I mean it's not like this man's very life was at stake. Oh, that's right, it was. And if it had not been for the actions of one of the many deputies who came into contact with Tony throughout his stay at the Walker County Jail, this backwards-ass statement would have been all the general public would have known about the death of Tony Mitchell. The reason we had the video of Tony leaving the facility and the videos from inside the walls of the jail and know that the narrative pushed by the Walker County Sheriff's Office isn't exactly accurate is all because of another deputy, Deputy Karen Kelly. You see, Deputy Kelly already knew that the story being told by her employer wasn't the truth. In fact, she had been struggling with what happened to Tony already. Let's rewind a few days to January 25th, 2023. That was the last day Karen Kelly saw Tony. It was 6 a.m. and since she worked the night shift, she was on her way to clock out. Tony was there in that holding cell sitting on the ground. According to Deputy Kelly, at that time, Tony Mitchell asked her for more water through the cell door as she was clocking out to go home. It's important to note here that according to the lawsuit, Deputy Kelly was a part-time employee who worked the night shift three days a week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, one week, and then the following week she would work those same three days, plus Saturday, and repeat. The 25th was a Wednesday, and after clocking out that morning, Kelly wasn't scheduled to be at work until that following Sunday, the 29th. As we know, Tony was pronounced deceased at 1.15 in the afternoon of January 26th the day after Deputy Kelly worked her last shift that week. But even though she wasn't physically present at work, she did become aware of the fact that Tony was deceased. Jasper is a small town and word gets around. This wouldn't be the first, second, third, fourth, I could keep going here, time that detainees at the Walker County Jail had died under suspicious circumstances. That jail has a history, a hellish one. So people were talking mainly about the physical state Tony was in when he left that jail. This bothered Deputy Kelly. She reached out to her direct supervisor, Lieutenant Trina Phillips. Lieutenant Phillips told her to search the video to see what happened to him because she wasn't on shift either. It was either January 29th or 30th when Deputy Kelly was back on shift. She searched through the video and found that video we talked about earlier of a seemingly lifeless Tony Mitchell being carried through the Sally Port into a waiting police SUV. Concerned that the video may be taped over or tampered with, she recorded that video on her cell and sent it to Lt. Phillips. She told her lieutenant that what she had seen weighed heavy on her heart, and if that was somebody in her family, she would want to know the truth of what happened. And Lt. Phillips agreed. They talked about what they would have done differently if it was their shift and how regional paramedical services should have been called. On the same day that official statement from the Walker County Sheriff's Department was released, the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's State Bureau of Investigation, otherwise known as ALEA, released a statement of their own. On Thursday, January 26, at the request of the Walker County Sheriff's Office, Special agents with the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's State Bureau of Investigation launched an in-custody death investigation that occurred at approximately 1 p.m. Thursday, January 26, at Walker Baptist Hospital in Jasper. Anthony Don Mitchell, 33 of Carbon Hill, was arrested by the Walker County Sheriff's Office on Thursday, January 12, and was being held in the Walker County Jail. Mitchell was transported to Walker Baptist Hospital for evaluation on Thursday morning and became unresponsive at the hospital where he was pronounced deceased. An autopsy will be conducted by the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences. Nothing further is available as the investigation remains ongoing. Once complete, the findings will be turned over to the Walker County District Attorney's Office. That statement, coupled with the one released by the sheriff's office, you know, the false one about Tony being alert and conscious, weighed heavily on Deputy Kelly. Were they going to cover up the truth about what happened to Tony? It appeared so. This put Deputy Kelly in one hell of a moral dilemma. She needed her job. She was a single mom and her career at Walker County was just taking off. She had previously been employed for about a year by the department from September of 2020 to September of 2021. She left on good terms, took a year off, and was back in September of 2022. And like we talked about, was only a part-time employee, but had quickly become an acting supervisor, studied and passed her sergeant's test that January, and was about to be promoted into a full-time supervisor's role. She was also a member of the CERT, or Critical Incident Response Team. And she was a single mom. This career came with benefits not only for her, but also her children. But again, she was a mom. She knew in her heart that if this had happened to her child or someone she loved, she would want to know the truth. She shared the video with a corrections officer at another law enforcement agency because she believed somebody outside of the Walker County Sheriff's Office needed to know the truth. The video quickly made its rounds on social media, and as you can imagine, it sparked outrage in the local community. Nearly a week passed when on February 7th, Deputy Kelly was back at work. She wasn't there long before she was called into Sheriff Nick Smith's office, which just so happens to be upstairs from the jail. Investigator Carl Carpenter and Officer TJ Armstrong were waiting in the office to speak with her. Of course, she already knew what it was about, so she asked if she needed an attorney. She was advised that she didn't because this was an in-house investigation, but she could have a witness so she asked for her lieutenant, Lieutenant Phillips, to be present, and she too was called into the office. Karen Kelly was questioned about the video, when, how, and why she had recorded it, and she detailed the events. She was then asked why she had leaked the video to someone outside of the department, and she told the truth, that she felt the truth of what happened to Tony Mitchell needed to be told, not the story that was falsely being reported to the media. She was questioned about her medical background and she told the investigator that she did in fact have a little background in the medical field, as she had previously worked as a CNA and completed EMT basic training. When asked if she believed she would have done things differently than her co-workers, she didn't back down and stated that she felt Tony Mitchell might have been alive today if they had sought medical attention in the form of calling an ambulance to the jail the moment Tony was in medical distress. She was then asked by Investigator Carpenter for her phone and its passwords, and he started scrolling through her phone as Armstrong leaned in to look. Another investigator, Bryant Parkhurst, walked into the office and Carpenter handed him Deputy Kelly's phone and told him to pull everything off of it. The line of questioning about why she had released that video to the public continued. But eventually, she was instructed to return to the jail and told that her phone would be brought back to her. At around midnight that night, Investigator Carpenter did return her cell phone, and once she had it back in her possession, she noticed a missed call from her captain, Jotty Tidwell, the same Captain Tidwell that had observed Tony clearly in medical distress the morning he died. Yeah, that one? Her name's gonna come up a few times, along with several others. Anyhow, she texted Captain Tidwell to let her know that she had gotten her phone back and the captain called her and told her that she had just gotten off the phone with jail administrator Justin White and he had instructed her to send her home until the investigation into the leaked video was complete. No time was wasted in removing Deputy Karen Kelly from her post at the Walker County Jail until an investigation into a leaked video was complete. The same can't be said of the deputies present during the actual death of a man who at the very least likely died due to gross negligence and at the worst was actually murdered. But I mean, what do I know? That video eventually made its way to the mainstream media and CBS 42 reported on the story with a headline on February 9th that read, Police said an Alabama man was alert and conscious when he left the jail. Video shows otherwise. It went on to detail the discrepancy between the official statement from the sheriff himself through his public information officer, TJ Armstrong, and the video showing the reality of the state Tony Mitchell was in when he left that jail. Had it not been for Deputy Karen Kelly, it's likely the public would have never laid eyes on that video. And Tony Mitchell's death could have been swept under the rug. And what did Karen Kelly get for blowing the whistle? She was swiftly fired, the very day that video hit the mainstream media. Now, her termination papers weren't served until the following day, but they were backdated for the day the story broke, February 9th, 2023. The letter signed by the sheriff himself, Nick Smith. While the letter didn't go into a lot of detail about the reasoning for her firing and stated that she was a probationary employee and could be fired at any time before her six months probation was up, it did kind of mention her engagement in certain activities that had been discussed with her. Reading in part, you have engaged in certain activities that have been discussed with you, which are considered unsatisfactory service for a variety of reasons. I therefore have elected to discharge you as a probationary employee as provided for by act number 200 of the Walker County Civil Service Act effective immediately. Just so we're clear, they told her they were firing her for leaking the video without telling her they were firing her for leaking the video. As if that wasn't bad enough, her position on the cert team was given to a name we're already familiar with, Morgan Madison. The Morgan Madison who allegedly dressed a seemingly dying Tony in that jail uniform prior to him being taken to the hospital, assisted in the cleanup of the cell, and was well aware of Tony's declining state. And to add insult to injury, guess who was named Correction Officer of the Month in February, aka as soon as he could be? You guessed it, Morgan Madison. You'll have to go to the North Birmingham Times to find it though since the original post, which was posted on the Walker County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, has been taken down. I'd bet it's due to outrage from the community, which this department seems to not only not address, but to limit the amount of communication between their office and the community they are sworn to protect by deleting posts and limiting comments on their social media. But thankfully, the North Birmingham Times reported on February's Correction Officer of the Month on February 14, 2023. At the top of the article, there's a photo of Morgan Madison smiling as he proudly holds up his certificate. The certificate was awarded by Jail Administrator Justin White and Captain Jotty Tidwell. The caption reads, Congratulations to Morgan Madison for being Correction's Officer of the Month. Morgan is a second-generation law enforcement officer and takes a lot of pride in doing his job very well. We are thankful that Morgan has chosen to start his career with us. I mean, if that ain't enough to gag a maggot, I don't know what is. It seems that old blue wall of silence is not only alive and well in Walker County, but rewarded. On February 13, 2023, Tony Mitchell's mother filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Sheriff Nick Smith and all of the officers who played a role in Tony's death, to include the so-called medical professionals at the jail who witnessed the state Tony Mitchell was in and did nothing to help him. That same day, Karen Kelly also filed a lawsuit claiming her firing was in retaliation for exposing the truth. Both the family of Tony Mitchell and Deputy Karen Kelly are represented by attorney John Goldfarb. It was soon announced that the FBI would be assisting Aaliyah with the investigation into Tony's death. Attorney General for Alabama Steve Marshall spoke on CBS 42, stating that the investigation into Anthony Mitchell's death will be treated like any other investigation. He said, The FBI has a different set of laws that deal with civil rights violations. They are uniquely equipped in that area, very different than what we have under current Alabama law to be able to evaluate it from that perspective. He went on to explain that the video of Tony leaving the jail was just a snapshot of the circumstances and the investigation would uncover the full picture of what happened to Tony Mitchell. In another interview with CBS 42, Attorney General Marshall watched the video of Tony leaving the jail for the first time and made a comment that sparked outrage online. Due to the unnatural positioning of Tony's arms as he was carried by deputies, the AG asked if he was still in cuffs. Tony wasn't and the news reporter pointed that out. And then the AG said, it's almost like he's posturing a little bit. While Twitter exploded with anger over that comment, I have to admit that I thought the exact same thing when I first viewed the video. Stay with me here. It seems that Alabama AG was using the term in a medical sense, or pointing out the positioning and rigidity of Tony's body and not claiming Tony was posturing, as in faking an injury, as many online believed. While there are many causes and different types, abnormal posturing usually indicates severe brain damage, swelling of the brain, and occurs just before death. It's hard to tell from a minute-long grainy surveillance video exactly what was going on. However, it's obvious that Tony's body is rigid and in an unnatural position, indicating that not only was Tony Mitchell not alert and conscious, he was mere moments away from death if his heart hadn't stopped already. That rigidity in the body can also be a sign of many other things to include seizure activity and severe hypothermia. Tony's core temperature when he arrived at Baptist Hospital, which remember was only five minutes away, was 72 degrees, which indicates severe hypothermia. As we know, the lawsuit alleges that Tony was likely left in the jail's freezer or another cold environment for an extended period of time on the night of January 25th. The ER doctor who treated him said hypothermia was likely the cause of his death. He went on to say, The cause of his hypothermia is not clear. It is possible he had an underlying medical condition resulting in hypothermia. After researching as much as I could about hypothermia, I still had questions, especially about any underlying medical condition that could result in hypothermia. And I figured you might too. So I reached out to an interventional nephrologist with 27 years under his belt. In layman terms, that's a really smart kidney doctor. One who has a certain way of breaking things down to a level that's easy to understand and a vast knowledge of the processes of the human body. Of course, he didn't treat Tony Mitchell, and we simply talked in general terms about death, hypothermia, starvation, and a few things in between. But most importantly, I asked if there were any natural diseases that would cause a drop in body temperature to 72 degrees. He stated unequivocally that no natural disease would cause a person's body temperature to drop that low while a person was still alive and had a heartbeat and an environmental factor would have had to have been present. While no video has yet been released proving that Tony Mitchell was placed in a freezer, the known facts of what happened to Tony Mitchell suggest that is likely what happened. But I do want to note here that those conclusions are being made based on information that came from officials at the Walker County Jail, like the fact that Tony was alert and conscious when he left the jail, and other information provided to the medical team at Baptist Hospital, again by officials at the jail. At this point, can we really trust any of that information? I sure don't. With the limited information that has been provided thus far, coupled with those I have consulted on this case and my research, I do believe there are other possibilities of what happened to Tony. None of them good or in any way acceptable. On the short list would be a traumatic brain injury or death by starvation and neglect. But as we all know, I'm not a medical professional. Speculation runs rampant online with theories and I'm not going to get into all of them but theories like Tony was killed earlier and his body was placed in the freezer to obscure time of death. If that was the case, by the time he made it to the hospital, there would have been no agonal breathing and his body temperature would be far lower. Another theory was that Tony had been deceased and his body was already in rigor when he was being transported and that's why he appears rigid in the video. Once again, the evidence thus far doesn't support that. Rigor mortis appears approximately two hours after death and the muscles of the face and progresses to the limbs over the next few hours, completing between six to eight hours after death. And according to Baptist Hospital, again, Tony was taking agonal breaths. While security footage from the kitchen area has not yet been provided to Tony's family or the general public, it still exists. And eventually, the truth about what exactly happened to Tony will be known through that surveillance video and the medical examiner's report, which has been completed but not yet released pending this investigation. The fact at this point is that, regardless of Tony's official cause of death, multiple deputies as well as medical professionals at the Walker County Jail witnessed a man in need of immediate medical attention and they failed to act. For at least five hours, it was pretty obvious that Tony Mitchell was in distress, yet his medical care was denied and delayed. And I would take it back farther than that. Tony Mitchell was obviously experiencing a severe mental health crisis the moment officers arrived on scene on January 12th. His family knew it, which is why they had called in the first place. And every other officer who made contact with Tony from that point knew it, or they damn well should have. His family wanted to get him help. Instead, he was taken to jail, left nude in deplorable conditions, without so much as a mat to sleep on or freaking access to a toilet. Tased, held without his false teeth so he couldn't properly eat, possibly put in a freezer, his life ultimately withering away on the bare floor of a booking cell and shown not an ounce of compassion or care. And then even after his death, the blame was placed squarely on Tony, with comments from the public information officer T.J. Armstrong like, We've had a time with Tony, or this is the worst case of addiction we've ever seen. Had a time with Tony? I bet they did. If someone took your access to use the restroom away, forced you to lie nude on a bare concrete floor, took your teeth, tased you for good measure, all while in the midst of a mental health crisis, how compliant would you be? Was Tony even mentally able to comprehend what was happening? And worst case of addiction? Nah, but it is one of the worst cases of neglect and abuse of a human being who was struggling I've ever seen. Well, that was not until I took a good look at other instances that have occurred right there in that jail. As someone who has worked and continues to work with humans struggling with substance use issues, Tony Mitchell's case infuriates the living hell out of me. Because countless times I have told a family, with a struggling loved one that at least their person was safe in jail because they are supposed to be i'll be the first to admit that abuse and mistreatment of those suffering from addiction tends to get me fired up in a way not much else can i could go on for days about all the things that are blatantly wrong with tony mitchell's period of incarceration but i'll spare you because not only am i not a medical professional I am also not a corrections officer or detention deputy, but y'all know I reached out to one, and I believe what he had to say about Tony Mitchell was very important and needs to be heard. He's a deputy first class who has spent the past 20 years working in the field in the state of Florida in both the jail and prison system. We talked at length about appropriate procedures and what should have been done in Tony's case. Like the fact that in his department, if a detainee missed more than nine consecutive meals, which would add up to three calendar days, that in itself would be considered a medical emergency. It would be documented, and the detainee would be seen by medical. Or the fact that there was no excuse for Tony to be nude. But that's not the important part of our conversation, because policies and procedures can vary department to department and state to state. What is universal or what should be is what he said at the end of our conversation. And I quote, What is alleged in this case is an embarrassment. As a sworn deputy working in the jail, our job is care, custody, and control at all times in public and in the jail. Care is first for a reason. Just because someone is in jail doesn't mean they aren't human. And it is still our job to protect them. They are members of our community. We should never forget that. It is my job to take care of everyone in my charge. Nurses, clerks, detainees, inmates, it doesn't matter. That's where integrity comes in. We take care of the good guys and the bad and everything in between. Where is their integrity? Where is their character? I wouldn't be able to look my own family in the face knowing I didn't do my job. I'll repeat the question, where is their integrity? Not only did Anthony Mitchell die in custody in hellish conditions, it seems the sheriff of Walker County intentionally misled the public who, let's not forget, elected him. Where is your integrity, Nick Smith? where in the actual fuck is it? Because the buck stops with you. This man lost his life in your jail. Section 138 of the Alabama Constitution reads in part, whenever any prisoner is taken from jail or from the custody of any sheriff or his deputy and put to death or suffers grievous bodily harm, owing to the neglect, Connivance, cowardice, or other grave fault of the sheriff, such sheriff may be impeached under Section 174 of this Constitution. And we'll leave it at that. This case has fueled a movement in the community. There have been candlelight vigils to honor Tony Mitchell and peaceful protests outside of the jail and at the courthouse, and calls for the officers present with Tony on the night of the 25th and the morning of the 26th. To be at the very least placed on administrative leave until the investigation is complete, and for the sheriff to step down. I reached out to local ABC 3340 reporter Bobby Poitavent who covered one of the protests and asked him what it was like there on the ground. He described a peaceful protest with a lot of energy and well over a hundred people in attendance. As they were filming, protesters held signs in front of their faces those posters bearing Tony's name, but also the names of others who have died in the Walker County jail or who were killed at the hands of Walker County deputies. The people want justice for Tony, that's clear, but this movement has grown beyond that. It's about justice for Tony, so many others, and change. The people of Walker County want real change, and they need our help. I'm about to leave you with a call to action message from Warren Tidwell of Hometown Action, Alabama, which details what this movement is about. But before I do, I'd like to ask you to take a moment out of your day to sign the petition for Tony and the countless others who are suffering with substance use disorder in Walker County.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Tidwell, Community Resilience Coordinator with Hometown Action in Alabama. I'm no longer in Walker County, but it was my home for more than half my life and Jasper is my hometown. I'm grateful to have come to know the wonderful folks who have started the Justice for Tony Mitchell group, and I'm grateful to be working with them to create the core team that planned the recent protest, one that ended up being one of the most organized and well-planned events I've ever been a part of. Along with the candlelight vigil last night, where nearly 100 folks joined us to share in a solemn time in remembrance of so many who have suffered violence at the hands of the Walker County Sheriff's Office. Many, many thanks to so many of you who have joined in the collective effort to demand justice for Tony. Now thousands have already signed the petition from within the county, but we need as many signatures as we can get. We are hoping to top 5,000 signatures to be delivered to county leaders at the next meeting. We are also joined together in solidarity with so many other families who have lost loved ones at the hands of the Walker County Sheriff's Office. This is about justice for Tony. It is also about justice for Vincent, for Autumn, for Austin, for Mindy, for Frederick, and for so many others. I was at the protest the other day, and it struck me that I had never experienced anything at a protest or rally like what I was witnessing. Along with the names that were being chanted, an appalling number considering it was one county police force, people were coming up and telling me stories of their family members who had been brutalized by the Walker County Sheriff's Office over the years. So this doesn't end when we get justice for Tony. We deserve answers and investigations into all the other incidents at the Walker County Sheriff's Office. I've received a few messages from people asking why I'm doing this. Why am I demonizing a police force who deals with what others have described as the worst of humanity? I'm in this for the same reasons other people are. I see the humanity in these people who have suffered regardless of their personal issues with addictions or criminal history, and I'm demonizing no one. We are seeking alternate systems of care created So police aren't responding to mental health crisis situations, and certainly ones that remove the long-term care of someone suffering from mental health issues or addiction issues from the long-term care of the police. As for the police, we demand that those who are charged to protect and serve do just that. We demand that our law enforcement agencies don't stare into the abyss and become the darkness that they claim the thin blue line supposedly protects us from. We demand they treat people with common human decency. We demand they don't lie and obfuscate the issue when officers are found to have been derelict in their duties, and especially when they have acted in criminal ways themselves. And if you cannot do that, you have to go. If you oversee an agency that has allowed this, you have to go as well. We also demand that there be consequences for those who took part in the eventual death of Tony Mitchell. We are not just a bunch of angry people yelling and waving signs though. We have a well thought out list of immediate and long-term goals which includes future plans we are more than willing to work on in coordination with elected officials in Walker County. These demands are listed on the petition I am sharing with you. Those alternative systems of care I mentioned earlier, there are millions of dollars coming to Walker County in the form of the opiate settlement money that could fund them. For everyone watching this, if you haven't signed the petition, please do. If you haven't spoken to your Walker County Commissioner, reach out and ask, what are the plans for the opiate settlement money? Show up to our events, show up to county meetings, Don't stop putting pressure on officials who can control the way the money will be spent. Make sure you join us in demanding it go to support the people who were harmed by the opiate crisis in Walker County and to help those currently trapped within the grips of addiction. The last thing the Walker County Sheriff's Office needs is new radios when we have so many suffering in this county. I'm confident if we all work together, we can create new ways to care for our people and reduce or eliminate the need for our Sheriff's Office to respond to wellness checks and overdose calls. We need people who have the training to help someone in the middle of a mental health crisis. We need teams exclusively dedicated to treating overdose to save lives and who can move and act quickly in even the most rural places of Walker County. And we need the elected officials in Walker County to acknowledge that and join us in a collective effort to create new ways to help avoid the situation that led to the death of Tony Mitchell. We have all lost someone we love to addiction in Walker County. I had a first cousin die last December after years of struggles, and my own father doesn't know who he is half the time now after years of addiction. We all have stories like this in Walker County, and we all know it doesn't have to be this way anymore. We can do better together. Our systems can be built to support our people, and our approach to addiction can change as well. These issues all intersect but we need you to join in. Sign the petition, call your elected reps. show up to meetings, continue showing up to our events, and reach out to the folks organizing this to find out how you can take a bigger role if you want. Now I know a lot of people are scared and have heard from you, a lot of you, who have expressed fear at taking on powerful entities in Walker County. I know that fear and I acknowledge it, but the people joined together cannot be defeated. We can make all of this I've mentioned a reality if we want to create a legacy from this horrific event with Tony that will save lives in the future. We can ensure the people who have harmed our people in Walker County at the Sheriff's Office face justice. All it takes is us joining together.
0: All links will be posted in the show notes and on my social media. You can also join Justice for Tony Mitchell on Facebook for immediate updates and more information. Next week, I'll be bringing you another case from Walker County and a mother's fight to get justice for her son. As always, you can find more information on this case on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. I'll be bringing you that all new episode next Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.